about how to, how to share our faith. How, how, do we, how do we share this thing that God has been doing in us with other people? How, how, do we take, how do we take this gift, this treasure that we've received and do something worthwhile with it? We, I hope, if you've been coming at all, I hope you've gotten the, the understanding that it's not meant just for us. Certainly God loves us individually. Certainly we are important to him. But his, his primary goal is not for us to feel happy. His primary goal is for us to join him in his mission, in his ministry to, to bring change, to bring hope, to bring redemption to the world. That if we think about it, that's an awesome privilege that we're invited into. I want you to imagine... I don't care what your political affiliations are. If the president called you tomorrow and said, hey, I got this project I'm working on and I need you to be a part of it. I'm going to fly you up. I need you to, I'm inviting you to participate with me. We would jump on the plane, man. We'd be there. We'd be bragging about it to all our friends. Well, guess what? Not the president of the United States, but the creator of the universe. The Savior of the world has invited you to join him in ministry to changing the world, to bringing hope and redemption and love and forgiveness. And we forget that sometimes as Christians. We get so wrapped up in our meetings and our, and our sanctuaries and our buildings and our programs that we forget that there's actually this great, wonderful thing that we are invited to be a part of. And so we've been reminding ourselves about that. And I know as we talk about evangelism, about sharing your faith, that so many of us are scared to death about that. That so many of us have these stereotypes and these bad memories and these bad pictures. And, you know, you think of some guy with puffy hair or some guy carrying a cross on the sidewalk, and you're like, I'm not doing that. And we talked last week about evangelism. First of all, before, before you say anything, we want to make sure that you're, you're living the life. Because actually... The way we live is a much more powerful evangelistic tool than anything we say, right? And we talked about how, how you don't even have to do big things. We all have these, well, you know, if I was Mother Teresa, then I could, you know, I, I, then it would be different. But we talked about, you know, the most effective ministry oftentimes happens in the smallest details of life. The, the, the card to someone who's sick that says, Man, I didn't want to bother you, but I just wanted to know, let you know I've been thinking about you and I've been praying about you. The phone call to a friend you haven't talked to in a while just to check in and say, is everything going all right? The young mother that lives across the street that you offer to watch her kids so that she can go work out at the gym or whatever. The ministry happens in the smallest of details. It's when we are willing to submit ourselves to the power of Christ. It's when we're willing to, to, to be his hands and feet. Not to do some big, amazing thing. Because, you know, as soon as we start out to do that, we've got our priorities wrong anyway. It's when we're willing to humble ourselves and join him in ministry that God most often is willing to, to work through us when we are willing to humble ourselves, when we're willing to pick up our cross, to follow him daily, then we can call ourselves his followers. 
Well, I want to I want to continue on that that thought a little bit this this morning, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how you can make a difference. And one of the common things I hear in church life is people say, well, you know, I really would like to do something. I would really like to, to contribute in some way, but I just don't know what God's calling me to do. I just don't know how God could use me. And I think the church is partly responsible for this because we, we like these programs and stuff, and we like you know, books and stuff you can sell and everything. And, and there was a deal back in the 80s where we really put this emphasis on spiritual gifts. How many of you ever took a class on spiritual gifts, did spiritual gifts inventories, that kind of stuff? There's nothing wrong with that. The only problem is, instead of leading people into service, what it did is gave a lot of people an excuse not to do the things they didn't want to do. Well, you need to go serve the... Well, that's not my gift. That's someone else's job. I, I, I was called to be the president of the committee. That was, my, that, was my, that was my calling. I'm still waiting for the followers to come along. But, but, you know, when it comes down to it, I think we misunderstand what spiritual gifts are. Number one, we, we connect them too much to our talents. We connect them too much to our own strength. What the, what the scriptures tell us is that spiritual gifts are something that the Holy Spirit gives to people, gives to the church in order to accomplish the work that God has for us to do. Okay? Certainly sometimes he will use your talents and, and, and things. But you know what? God doesn't need your talents. In fact, your talents get in the way. Because... When you're relying on your talents and your strengths, you're not looking for God to do anything spectacular in your life. You've got it covered. Yeah, and, and, and that's why a lot of us have a problem experiencing God because we like so much to operate out of our strengths that we never put ourselves in a place where he, he can use our weaknesses. Spiritual gifts is something that God gives to you to accomplish the work that he's calling you to do. Okay? And we have this idea in the church that in order to be, in order for us to give our lives, it needs to get a lot of attention, you know? We, we, we hear Gustav play a piano, and we get gift in him, man. And we're like, God, now I could be a better Christian if I could play piano like Gustavo. If I could do that, then I would, or man, if I, if I could sing like, like that guy, or if I, could, if I could teach Bible like that, or if I... And, we get this gift in me. And you know what? Actually, God is just saying, there is, I am operating all around this world. There is not a person I've ever created that I don't care about. There is not one person ever created that God does not love with everything. I'm, it doesn't matter what their social status is. It does not matter what their sexual preference is. It doesn't matter what denomination they are. God loves people. Every single person he's created, his whole goal is to, to allow them to know that he loves them. Allow them to know that they matter. Allow them to know that there's, there's a father. There's a God who cares about them. And he gives us that privilege of, of being the messengers of that. He doesn't need our talents to do that. He just needs our willingness our willingness. 
We're going to look at a passage that is fairly familiar. In fact, some of you will remember it from your wedding. That is, assuming you didn't visit Uncle Jack before the wedding. Um, That went right over nothing. (laughs) I just know doing weddings, a lot of grooms drink Uncle Jack before the uh, actual ceremony. (laughs) And they think I'm that dumb that I can't smell it on their breath when they're this far away from me. Oh, it's mouthwash. (laughs) But this is from 1 Corinthians. We're going to start in verse 29 of uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, of chapter 12 in verse Corinthians. We're going to read through chapter 13. You've heard it in another setting. But what, we, what we're going to talk about is this is a section in which Paul, who wrote, who wrote this letter, Paul is addressing the need within the church. They, they have these questions, man. I want to do something important to God, for God. I, I want to be the preacher. I want to be the prophet. I want to be the, I want to be the one that everybody listens to. I, I want to have the gift of prophecy. That would be it. And we're, we're going to hear his response. Of what gifts should we desire as we uh, try to do this Christian thing? So verse 29, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Go ahead and blank it for a minute. What he's saying here is, you know, some of those gifts, they get a lot of attention, you know? If you're the singer, you're the preacher, you're the, you're the, you're the prophet, that gets a lot of attention. But he said, if you, if you want to pray for something, number one, is everybody going to have the same gift? No. So don't have gift envy. The church would be boring if we all did the same thing. I mean, can you imagine a church with 200 preachers? Who'd be listening to us? Nothing. No, nobody. Can you, and, and who would want to live in a world with that many preachers anyway? That would be horrible. Can you imagine? He says, don't, don't want the same gifts. If you're going to desire a gift, let's go for the most important one. Let's go for the most important one. It's not getting attention. It's not prophecy. It's not what's the most important thing. It says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Chapter 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I did, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had a gift of of prophecy, and if I... I'm sorry, I lost my place there. If I gave everything I had to the poor and sacrificed my body... I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Now, this is the part you remember from your wedding. But let's put it in this context. What is the most important thing that we can do? Love is patient. It is kind. It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. 
It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will all become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. But when full understanding comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. When it comes down to how do we join God in ministry, there, this is the answer. We, we so many times get this idea that you have to join a program or you've got to join some organization. or join, And when it comes down to it, what God is asking us to do, it should be no surprise because it's the basis of everything. When Jesus was asked, how do you fulfill all the law and commandments? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's picking up on that. And he says, if we are going to be a part of what God was doing through Christ in the world, if we're going to, guess what the secret is? Big surprise, love. Our love for God should drive us out into the world to serve others. Our mission, our calling, our sharing, our witness, if you will, is to love others. I know this is much different than what you've thought about for evangelism before. It is not necessarily memorizing a bunch of scripture and being able to walk each people through a pathway to God. We are not called to lead people to Christ. Christ already knows where they are. We don't lead anybody to Christ. We don't save anybody. We just need to help the process that God is already trying to accomplish. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts people. It's the Holy Spirit that moves people towards uh, faith in Him. We just get to be the participants. We're just like the cheerleaders on the sideline, man. We just want to make sure we don't get in the way. We don't have to lead somebody to Christ, but our job is to say, man, God's working out there in the world. I'm sure He's doing something in your life. This is what He did in mine. Wow, look at Him go. That's our job, to love others. Evangelism is not, it's, it's not about helping someone understand that they suck and are going to hell. That is not our mission. That's what most people think about for evangelism. That's what some of you have experienced at different times and places. That someone in their loving way came and told you, God hates you. You're going to hell. like to help you, but that's just who you are. If you were more like me, you could go, but it, we've experienced that. And that's, that's, why, that's why we are so afraid of being evangelists. That's not evangelism. Evangelism, remember the, the root in, in Greek, has to do with good news. 
the good news of our gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that God has for us to share with the world is that you matter. There's a God who loves you, that you belong. You can be a part of a family. Despite your, your brokenness, despite your, your, your mistake, you belong. That's the privileged thing we have to share. You have been invited. You are, incur- you are called. You are sent to share with the world God's love. To share love. Now, what does that look like? How, how do we love others in a way that's going to be attractive to the gospel? I mean, think about it. Any of you that are Christian, you have a story to tell about someone who was influential in your life, right? You, you have somebody. There is somewhere, and, and a lot of us have multiple people. There is someone who, despite being a jerky teenager, despite your, the mistakes you made, despite your reputation in town, there's been someone in your life who could see past that and helped you to realize who you could be. There's someone who looked past your shortcomings and put you on a path of where you you could end up. There's someone who who shared with you the the offer of forgiveness and and mercy instead of telling you about how horrible you were. That's that's the kind of love we're talking about. Those, Those little acts we talked about last week. You do them not because you want to get attention. You do them because you want to bring honor and love to someone else. Remember some of those things that said true love is? Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. It's not rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. It never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love. That's what we are called. The same love that God has extended to us, we're asked to share with the world. The same love that drove our Savior to a cross. That despite being ignored, despite being mistreated, despite the ages and ages and ages of humanity turning their back on Him, the kind of love that drove Him to the cross should send us out into the world. Do you want to know what your gift is? Your spiritual gift? I don't know. And I'm not really worried about that. But you know what you're supposed to do in the world? You're supposed to love. And that's not a natural... That's why we need the spiritual gifts. That's why we need the influence of the Holy Spirit because that doesn't come naturally to us. This is, this is where we need the Holy... That's what the spiritual gifts have to do. Doing something in the world that we're not able to do on ourselves. To go out and be Christ-like in the presence of others, to bring hope and ministry uh, to, to a needy world... That takes the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we rely on. That's where the spiritual gifts come. And for most 
circumstances. It's going to not be in your strength areas. The times where I experience God the most fully, where I have been so blown away by His power, are places where I find myself completely inept. You know why? Because if I try to do it in my own strength, then I'm all then I've got all these plans and ways to work it and pat myself on the back, and it's all about me. But if I'm put in a situation where I have no idea what to do, I have no choice but rely on Him. I have no choice but to say, come on, man, if you, if you, this is going to take a miracle if you're going to do it, because I don't know how to do that. That's the kind of love we are called to share. You have God-given gifts. I'm not sure what they are. I don't even think that it's all that important for us to know exactly what those look like. I think as we experience and we walk through the Christian life, we begin to recognize those places where God tends to use us more effectively. But I think on the journey, I, I think we're just supposed to look for God at work and try to join it. I think we're just, instead of saying, well, yeah, I hope somebody else shows up that has that gift because I see the need over there, but I have nothing to do with it. That wasn't on my list. No, there's a need. I'm going to respond to it. And if I don't have the, I'm going to rely on God to give me the strength, the power, the gift to be able to respond in the right way. Wow, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? I just put the burden of the world on your shoulders. That if there is need, you're responsible for responding. Guess what that's called? Scripturally, that's called the body of Christ. It's exactly what he did for us. There was a need. He came to our level, walked among us, came and through love gave us a way to rise above it. And now we, as his followers, we get to be the body of Christ to see need, respond, go out, be among it, and through love, help people overcome that. That's what Christianity is about, man. It, it's, it's not about listening to a sermon. It's not about what church you're a member of. It's about how are you participating in the reconciling, life-changing, transformational power of Jesus Christ for the world? How are you participating in that? Because we all, and it's a privilege that we all have been invited to be a part of. We're going to sing a hymn here in a minute, prepare ourselves for communion. And we're going to be receiving communion, a place where we recognize and remember who Jesus Christ is in our life. If you have kids in the children's church that uh, you'd like to have join us for communion, as we sing this hymn, that would be a good time for you to go uh, get them and you can bring them back. You don't have to, uh, but if you want to have them participate with you, this would be the time to do that. Why don't you stand with us? Let's... uh, Let's sing this this hymn as we proceed.